It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Born Bookstrap. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Steinbach. Back again this week with Cole Bjorn Bergstrom. We're going to have a good show for you this week. Just kind of an update uh, for our regular listeners on last week. A lot of the news that we were talking about last week has a lot of updates. And so we want to cover those, kind of give some good continuity between these two shows these past two weeks. And Colburn, it's good to have you back because it's good to keep this conversation going. How are you doing today? Oh, yeah, I'm doing great, Dan. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. Very icy uh, conditions here in the bird. Uh, I'm from Michigan, so this really doesn't phase me, but I am well aware that you know conditions like these aren't typical for this area. Uh, do you, did, are you from around here, by the way? Uh, I'm from the state. I'm from Virginia myself. But um, okay, yeah, I mean, obviously these conditions aren't normal at least in recent years for like i'm from northern about the northern virginia area it's not you know uh the thing that we're used to but i will say that there's definitely been some uh concerns which is why we had for ourselves classes canceled today um there's been people concerned over uh power outages and whatnot i know some people actually have and for those people i hope you all are doing well and let's hope that you know that issue doesn't persist yeah, certainly. And to those listening to us, I hope you enjoy your snow day. Uh, we were recording this on Thursday, so we're definitely enjoying our time off, but podcast drops on Friday. So while you're listening to us on Friday or over the weekend, uh, we hope that you enjoyed your day off classes. Um, and I guess that could be a good segue into our first discussion. So last week we started off with Tech Basketball having their game canceled against Louisville on Saturday. And if you're listening to us on Saturday, the 20th, you'll be listening to us rather than prepared to watch Virginia Tech men's basketball play against Florida State. So that's now two Florida State games that are gone. Uh, This game has been postponed. And of course, earlier in the week, the North Carolina game had been postponed as well, uh, as opposed to last week where problems with COVID-19 were persisting in opposing programs. Uh, These two cancellations have been due to COVID within the Hokies program themselves. So, I mean, we're just going to basically pick up right where we left off last week. I mean, this this is going to be a team that hasn't played for 17 days, a team that's getting ready for postseason play. Now there are only four games left until the ACC tournament, and then we're just a week closer to March now. What are your thoughts on all this? Um, Because as of now, I'm not on the whole train of, oh, man, we're going to – get that tweet, you know, as March approaches during postseason conference tournaments where March Madness is canceled. Cause I know we're, that we're going to have bubbles and such, but mm-hmm. as we approach the tournament, all it really takes is one program to have some sort of outbreak. And I mean, are we going to be talking about teams potentially having March Madness games forfeited or moved outside of the weekend? I mean, they're not going to be able to leave. So it's not like, teams will leave cities and they won't be able to play. I mean, you could honestly think, think about this. If a first round game was to get canceled, how, how would that work? Because you have a two day schedule to have a round. You can't move it to another day. If you have to have, you know, protocols in place. I think honestly, with the way it's going and the fact that games are still being postponed and the momentum of these games being postponed is not slowing down. I think March madness and postseason conference play is going to be a train wreck. Uh, I've seen a lot of talk, especially from fan bases, about if your team is good enough, just don't even play in your conference tournament. What, what are your thoughts on all this? Um, well, I mean, first of all, in Virginia Tech, I, I think it's going to be harder as the time goes on. I think I talked about this even last week. Um, to be able to hold like expectations uh, for a team just because they haven't been able to play in a while, maybe they haven't even been able to practice. Um, as frequently together. So uh, I know like that, as well as when you look at other teams that uh, start to have those issues um, with COVID, like just, I think as fans, we need to maintain our expectations and maintain our expectations as well for what games will be rescheduled and what won't be. Um, In regards to March Madness, um, I think, I guess it depends on uh, 
if teams are coming into contact with each other, if it's like one of those situations where it's right before the game and someone tests positive. Otherwise, I'd feel like uh, we may have talked about this as well, that if one team gets COVID, they might have to possibly just forfeit the game um, and let the, their opposition move on. So um, I think in regards to that, I think it's going to be a very hectic or messy postseason. I would definitely agree with you um, if it's not controlled right. But uh, if when you look at like bubbles, like the NBA bubble, that was actually pretty successful. They were able to run their season. Um, I, I don't think without too many setbacks, I, I could be wrong with that, but um I think if run properly, it can go well, but with kind of like these concerns and teams getting sick, uh, you know, not like persisting, it is a concern come tournament time uh, if those issues are going to persist. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe even it's going to be talked about of uh, attorneys for each conference possibly getting skipped out on, as you're saying, that teams should skip out on their conference tournaments if they're really good. Um, I don't know even if the conference is going to want to even talk about canceling it themselves to make sure that things stay healthy. I don't know in those regards what would happen. I don't know if you know more about that. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know anything about that. I haven't heard anything about that. I haven't seen anything about that. I think it's the smart thing to do. I think we should just do away with conference tournaments. And unfortunately, I think that that does end up meaning that you're not going to get some Cinderella story. And I think that definitely hurts for, you know, those um, non-power conference teams, uh, those mid-major teams in small conferences that, you know, there are two teams that are good, that are tournament worthy, but, you know, only one of those teams would make it in and the other team wouldn't get in if they didn't have a tournament. But if you want to have your schedule held, the first the first round of the NCAA tournament, at least the first four, is going to be played on the 18th. And if you take a look at just the ACC, the ACC tournament starts on March 9th. So that is nine days before. If you cancel that, Virginia Tech's uh, season ends on the 6th of March against North Carolina State. If you yep. cancel tournaments, you're seeing teams end – close as close to two weeks away from the tournament as possible. I think that that gives you good time. I, th I think that you can set a bracket. I think that it's possible to set a bracket. You have mid majors, just, they just end the season and they do, you know, regular season champions because if you get in conference play, a game canceled or a game forfeited, that's just not a real result. I don't believe that that would be a real result. And if you want to make this bubble work, you're going to have to, do as much as you can to make sure that no games get canceled or end up having to be forfeited. I don't know what their, um, I don't know what their plans are for this. I don't know what their contingency plan is in case COVID was to break out in this bubble that they're planning in Indiana. Uh, but I, I don't see how it hurts to just either do without conference play and go straight from the end of the regular season to the March Madness tournament and to other tournaments if they decide to hold them like the NIT. Or, and, and this is my personal opinion, I honestly am still of the mindset that they should not have started this season back in November. Uh, I think that they should have started and just done a conference-only season, just kind of a sprint to the finish, you know, late January, early February, and even bump the, Mar even bump the NCAA tournament back because we're, we're getting closer and closer to it and I feel like there just isn't a set plan in case things go wrong, because I have no signs to me personally that we're correcting course enough to get through all of this without some sort of controversy taking place. I yeah. honestly think that we're going to see a team, you know, hit conference tournament play, get hit with COVID, have to stop playing, but be one of those teams that would be seated into the tournament. And what are they going to do? Are they going to, take them out of the tournament or they're going to put them into the tournament. But by the time the tournament hits, you know, they're, they still can't play or yeah. someone else can't play by the time postseason tournament wraps up in their conference. But then once they get to the bubble, they can't play. They start forfeiting games. What if it's a high up team? What if it, what if Baylor got hit by COVID during the, during the NCAA tournament? No one's going to count that as a real result. And this is kind of going back to what we were talking about. It's hard to evaluate 
this season yep. and be genuinely it, it can be hard for a casual fan especially you know ones that maybe aren't as tied to a certain school or just a certain program like we are right now because we're in college you know we're still following the uh tech basketball team but for just general audiences how can you look and say if one of the top teams in the tournament has to get forced out or has to forfeit games how can you view any of that as real and i, I think that's definitely a question that will be just kind of in the back of people's minds as we even get closer to it but it's just crazy to me because I really see no signs of these types of postponements being slowed down. And again, all it takes is one team. If you're going to, if you're going to do bubble, yep. it takes one team. And what does a region uh, does uh, one location just kind of stall? Do we get March Madness games? Not on weekends. It's really, really weird to me. What's going to happen. I mean, some of these games are, I'm looking at the schedule right now. The first four is on a Thursday the rest of the rounds are on like Saturdays, Sundays. You have a couple Monday rounds, like the second round will be played on a Monday and the elite eight will actually be played on a Monday and a Tuesday, which I don't know how TV schedules are going to bounce around that. And I don't know how ratings will do, but honestly, I just think that it's going to be, it's going to be a complete mess. And I don't see a true, what's the word I'm looking for here. I want to say consensus or just a satisfaction. I think satisfaction is the word I'm looking yeah. for here with this season coming to an end and us having a champion at the end of all of this. I, I don't feel like we're going for a satisfying conclusion to this basketball season. I feel like something that we, I mean, what we proposed, um, I think is probably the best case scenario. It's the fact of if you are able to cancel like some of in particular, like the the bigger, like the ACCs and the SECs and the Big 12s, if you're able to cancel those tournaments, which for those bubble teams that would be looking to fight for their way into NCAA tournament at that point, sorry, but you guys would have obviously been struggling during the season. Um, I, I think at that point, if you can at the very least cancel those and give teams like, you know, a couple weeks um, to be able to quarantine on site um, before playing these games, I honestly think that that's probably the best case scenario to be able to have a chance of getting all these games done. But even at that, there's going to be a risk no matter what. Um, so I, I just hope that they can find a way, but it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to be happening as we are, you know, about a month out now from March Madness, a few weeks out from tournaments and seasons being over. Yeah, I just think that as we get closer and closer, more and more questions rise. And I think that the NCAA has, as a whole, really not been a driving force behind many decisions. I think conferences are really being the ones yeah. making decisions. And I think the NCAA as a body in the past year has really failed uh, as an organization in terms of organizing collegiate athletics. Um. The other big news, besides local news and tech basketball getting canceled uh, again and, you know, cancellations continuing throughout the college basketball slate, star player Jalen Johnson opted out for the remainder of Duke's season. Now, we can joke about Duke, you know, having a bad year all they want, all we want, and they weren't going to make the tournament anyways. But the question that's coming up now is – whether or not you view this as him quitting on his team, because there are different scenarios to what's going on. Now, Jalen Johnson, uh, I am vaguely following the NBA mock draft scene, but here, if I just pull one up just real quick right now, uh, I'm pretty sure that it won't take long to find his name. Yeah, find him. Um, yeah, so it's really, it's just really interesting. Yeah, right here. I got him as a lottery pick going 14th overall. So you have a top maybe 10 draft pick going into the next NBA draft, opting out. So it's, it's a big player. And this isn't the same as, oh, I can't, I can't even think of another one. But I, I know for Virginia Tech, Cartier Jara opted out, opted out a couple games into the season. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very different scenario than this because 
you only have a couple of weeks left and then you have conference tournament and other postseason play, but Duke probably wasn't up for that. Now here's my opinion. I will always take the side of the player and it's been especially true in COVID scenarios. The re- this situation has been so unreal that I don't think we can fault anyone, especially these young men, for any of the decisions that they are making. I think any decision that they feel is right is best for them. And again, it's the same. I, I feel it is sort of the same principle as a young man who it goes one and done. You supposedly make this commitment to a school, but we all understand that after one season, a lot of these premier players want to go to the NBA. And this is why I'm in favor of getting done, uh, getting rid of one and done rules. And I know that for a brand of college basketball, that might hurt the brand because a lot of star players probably won't end up going, but I still think that what he's doing is the best decision for him. And you still don't know what's happening with COVID. No one does. We're still getting game post moments. It's still a thing. It's not gone. You know, if he was say to get this playing basketball, no one would know what would happen. So you can't fault him for that. I I personally don't think that this is him quitting on his team. I think that we need to give leeway for any, you know, stretch of the imagination, any decision that any student athlete makes in this world that we're living in now, I think we need to give them the leeway to make those choices and be supportive of those choices. And especially considering amateur athletics, he's not, he's not getting paid for this. If this was the NBA, this would be a different story because, you know, you have a contract, you sign a contract, you're, this is your profession. Um, and you just don't have that same logistics in amateur college basketball. So it's, it's different than him leaving his professional team with a couple of weeks left in the NBA season. What are your thoughts on it? Because I, I feel that I've spelled out what side of this I am on, but I, I want to get, I want to hear what you have to say. Um, uh, overall um, with this situation, I, I do tend to agree with your, with, how you're thinking on it. But the one question I specifically have is, I I mean, and I think you have a good answer to this. How long specifically was Jalen Johnson out with his foot injury? Wasn't it like a couple months or like, I don't have the answer to that. Um, But regard, I, I think personally, regardless of length, if he feels that COVID or injury wise, he can, say, Hey, I want to help my foot heal to the fullest camp. And even if it's already full to the healed to the fullest, I don't think he would want to risk his um, NBA draft stock going down anymore. You know? Yeah. I, I, I can understand from his perspective, he doesn't want to risk his draft stock. Um, but, but to me, when I look at it, you have to look at the fact of, as you've brought up, Cartier Biara. When he opted out this year, um, I think I remember that we noted it was family um, extent and whatnot in regards to COVID. And we were very early on in the season. So it was like, it was understandable. Um, we're hoping they can come back next year even stronger um, if that's in the cards. And uh, it wasn't something that was as big of a deal for us because we could understand his perspective. Um, for Johnson, to me personally, through NCAA play, particularly if you're going through March Madness, that's one of the best times to raise your draft stock. Um, for example, when I we've talked about the fact that I'm a Kansas fan. Um, when I've watched Kansas, a lot of the time that that draft stock rises is through the NCAA, uh, through the uh, NCAA tournament for them. Um, we had like a player go undrafted last year. That's someone that I think would have been bound to go through the NBA draft if they had that tournament. I think for Johnson, something like that, if he could fight for that and show that he could have done well, and he did well throughout the year, it's the same type of scenario. Um, overall, I mean, personally, as I, as 
we can know we're not Duke fans. We're VT fans. So overall, for us, this isn't that big of a deal. I can personally understand his perspective. I can understand the team's perspective. I can understand either side of it. I just kind of feel like if you were to have made this decision with your foot injury, you probably should have done it when you knew that it was going to be a lot earlier, just to where at the very least for your team, you don't give them that expectation and that hope that I'm going to be back. I'm going to be able to play for the team. And then you're just not there. If you get what I mean. No, I get what you mean. Uh, For the record, he did miss, he missed three games in late December and early January. Um, There you go. So it, it wasn't this lengthy period of time that he was missing, but it, it certainly was a couple games and, you know, he had an injury. And I, I think just with how crazy this season has been, how crazy the world has been, I'm, I'm going to take his side on this. I'm not going to be one of those people that gets mad on Twitter and, you know, says he's a quitter and this generation well, is soft like or, or anything or anything like that. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you are. Um, Oh yeah, I know. Best of best of luck to him. I hope he does well. For sure, for sure. And again, this season, Duke's season wasn't going anywhere. And we can talk about the evaluations of teams going into the tournament. How about evaluations of players? I mean, we don't know what's going on in those practices, in those, you know, locker rooms, what they're dealing with back home with their families in this sort of thing, how their physical health, because again his body is is going to be his profession like he needs to make sure that he's taking care of it if he wants to do get drafted high and do well in the nba so doing whatever he can to put himself first i think will really help and i don't i'm not gonna say that like oh this is a sign that uh he's a bad teammate or anything because coach k and his duke teammates were coming out with well wishes for him. Oh yeah, Coach Kane's uh, like support. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I have no doubts that he'll be fine going into the draft and be fine going into the NBA. I'm sure that teams will use it as perhaps an interview um, tactic and just a question to ask. And I'm sure he'll clear it up, and I'm sure he'll be fine with that. So I, I wanted to touch on that because it was big news, and I saw it, and I, I, I have this opinion basically with most of these instances, you know, if you can find an instance where this happened, you know, during a foot, during a football season, you pick a player that opted out late um, or players that opted out before the season. I I'm always going to be on the player side when it comes to this, because what we're dealing with is just so supernatural in comparison to what you think a normal season would be. Now, if this was at, say a, it's tough because I, I think the situation would be slightly different. I think I would still be on Jalen Johnson's side if we weren't in COVID and he just said, Hey, I want to get my foot back to full health. And he opted out of the season uh, for the rest of the season with no COVID. I think that'd be different, but yeah, I, I think that that was just an important thing to touch on. So I want to go now back to last week's show and kind of give an update to what we were talking about. So in our second segment, we covered the NFL and you brought up some quarterback and just player carousel, you know, off-season trade type news. And we actually got the news this morning on one of the players that you had brought up. Carson Wentz gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts only for a third round pick this year and a conditional second round pick next year that could eventually become a first if he plays enough snaps, which I think he will. So I think that that will definitely end up becoming a first round pick. But I mean, with the Colts, that roster, that that's a, late first. I, I think that that's definitely a appropriate price for him. I think that Howie Roseman, Philadelphia Eagles GM asking for two firsts out of the gate was ludicrous. And you were never going to get anything for that. Uh, you're, you're never going to get a legitimate offer in that ballpark. Um, so yeah, so major player in the off season being dealt going to a team that I think uh, this relationship was one that has been made uh, for a while now because of Colts head coach, Frank Reich, who of course was there in Philadelphia with Wentz. And he was there when they made the Super Bowl run without Wentz. 
So you're hoping that reuniting Wentz with Reich can get him back to that, to some semblance of that MVP style form that went showcased in 2017. Uh, I want to ask, where do you think this puts the Colts for you? Because again, this is a team, very good roster, very good defense. Uh, just missed out on winning the AFC South, but then played the Buffalo Bills close in the wild card. Everyone pretty much came to the same conclusion that the limitations of this team potentially were receiving, even though they have some nice weapons. I don't think that they have, you know, some mega star. I like Michael Pittman Jr. a lot, uh, but T.Y. Hilton, he's getting up there in age. Maybe you have to look at tight end upgrades. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Taylor, awesome rookie season, great offensive line. And then Phillip Rivers being what he was last season, which was good enough, but just not dynamic enough uh, to take them over the top. I think that they're hoping that Carson Wentz can become that and really be that next step. What do you think? Do you think he has a bounce back season? Uh, and do you think, where do you think this puts the Colts for you? Do you think this puts them as AFC South favorites? Cause I think that they're still a playoff team. Um, and how, how far do you think they would be able to get in a playoff scenario? Well, I, as a fan, I'm trying to be very, very reasonable with my expectations here. Um, we've seen what Carson Wentz has done since his injuries and since um, the really good season where he had that MVP, like we all, we're like, oh, I know a lot of people were thinking that he should have been MVP back when the Eagles made that Super Bowl run, but he had the MVP potential. I'm trying to keep my expectations kind of in the middle. What I'm thinking about it is this. As a team last year, when Frank Wright got a quarterback that he's worked with in the past, they were able to be successful, more successful than the year prior to that when we used Jacoby Brissett, someone that was already on the team that Wright used. And Brissett was okay, but uh, nothing, you know, amazing. Uh, Rivers, we didn't expect the most out of, but he was able to do well for us. He had an excellent uh, wild card game for us, and we just let him down towards the end. We couldn't get us, ourselves past the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think uh, for the Colts, um, when I when I look at the team comparatively to Philadelphia. Overall, I think they have a very good receiving core, particularly if they brought back Hilton, I think it's arguable that they have a better one, which is something that a lot of uh, Philadelphia fans and news sports have been citing as an issue for Carson Wentz. The fact of his receivers sometimes either not being the best or not being healthy enough, um, which is another big thing. We have a healthy and consistent offensive line, arguably the best in the NFL. Now, when you uh, look at Eagles games last year, not all of it is on the line. Sometimes Carson Wentz holds onto the ball too long and he gets sacked. But I think with a better offensive line, particularly a healthy offensive line, um, I think he's going to be able to succeed behind that because they're going to be able to create time for him. Our running game is really good under Jonathan Taylor. It's something that I think should, can be expected to progress next year. And Rather than thinking the team's going to be Carson Wentz's offense, it could be a very balanced offense, maybe even more leaning on the shoulders of Jonathan Taylor. Um, and I think overall for someone like Carson Wentz, he doesn't have to be, go to Indy and be a leader. He has to go to Indy, and as uh, Darius Leonard's even said on Twitter, he has to work hard. When you come into Indianapolis, you're expected to work hard. You're expected to you know, work well with the, with the guys there. And we have a very healthy culture that we've built through Ballard and Reich. And I think that for once coming into that, it's going to be fresh for him um, comparatively to the criticism and negativity that he was getting a lot in Philadelphia. And it may not be an instant change for him, but I think that's something where I think even if you're neutral, it's something to be excited about for him as a player. Um, overall for Indy, I think, you could have probably got away with not having a conditional first in there. Um, and I think you could have probably changed the conditions to where it would have been a little bit more beneficial for you. Um, whether that's his staying off the IR or a specific set of stats or something to where it was reasonable, more reasonable. Something that wouldn't make you have to give up a first round pick. Exactly. Exactly. Like I feel as if 70 to 75% of snaps is something where, 
it's basically we're saying, hey, if he stays, you know, healthy at this point, it'd be like if he's staying healthy for 12 of our 16 games, it's, you know, we're good. We aren't like, for example, he went out uh, in that 2017 season where the Eagles won the Super Bowl. He went out the, you know, four games before in all the playoffs. If that type of scenario happens with us, we don't have someone like Nick Foles to go on. I like Jacob Eason, but we don't have, you know, that set, you know, veteran that you can trust that's been in the system for a while. So for us, we would then kind of be screwed going into the playoffs without him. So I feel as if if you could have had a specific stat or a specific something, that would have made the first a little bit more justifiable. But overall, he was the number two pick or, yeah, I think he was the number two pick about five years ago. And to be able to get him for this type of value is great. And to get him into this system, into this culture, into this overall, I would personally say a through and through better offense. I like it a lot, but I want to maintain my expectations um, as a fan. And hey, he doesn't hurt our cap room too bad. Like people have been citing how his, like how big his contract is, but Look at what Dak Prescott's asking for. He's asking for like 40 mil a year now. Uh, we're gonna have to be paying him like the uh, Wentz 25 mil a year. So he's someone that you can still build a pretty decent team around. There's really good uh, wide receiver free agents out there, edge free agents out there. That's a couple of things Colts need to add and we could be looking really good. I definitely agree with you that I think that the offensive personnel, particularly up front and in the backfield is better in Indianapolis. And I think that, it's a good place to start conversations, but ultimately seeing what they finish up doing in free agency and in the draft uh, really can be what gives you an idea of what the direction of this team is. Because I think if they go into the draft, I don't know now what their target is with a first round pick. Uh, if they want to go defense, if they want to go uh, wide receiver, there's not really a tight end outside of Kyle Pitts that I think is worth a first round pick. Um, but how, however they want to help the rest of the team. And then you go into free agency and say, you go after a guy like Allen Robinson, because like you said, the Colts had plenty of cap space. They make a move. Wentz's contract is big, but you're able to swallow it. If you can go out and get like an Allen Robinson free agency, Allen Robinson has been tied to the Colts in free agency. I think that it's him and Michael Pittman automatically makes you better at wide receiver. It gives Wentz better weapons. And I do want to touch on this though, too, because not just you can't discount Carson Wentz's injury for his. Um, I mean, no, I'm saying you can discount some of his struggles to his injury, but at the same time, you take a look at the advanced stats. I'm looking at them right now from pro football focus clean pocket last year. He was 32nd in the league in completion percentage, adjusted completion percentage. And he was, he threw the most picks. He threw 10 picks out of a clean pocket, which was the most in the league. So it, it's tough because you're going to reunite him with Frank Reich. You're going to give him better weapons, but still you have this drastic drop off in terms of production in last season and in previous seasons. So it's all a question mark of, you know, when we start to see him play, you know, I, I think we can, draw conclusions there, but waiting to see the other moves that the Colts make to really firm up that roster. I think going into next season, he will be the number one question mark because I think they oh, will yeah. make those moves. And ultimately quarterback will always be the number one question mark, unless you're Kansas city with Mahomes or green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, or because going into that coming into this season, look at last season. I don't think you can be, I mean, maybe Deshaun Watson, but I don't know how confident you can be watching those last few games, watching Russell Wilson struggle, even though he had to do a lot of it by himself and he kind of just fell off towards the end of the season after carrying that offense for so long. And then Tom Brady, the question of age is always going to be there, even if he was still productive. So quarterback will always be the central question. I think the Colts with how good they are and how many of us assume that with a good upgrade at quarterback from Phillip Rivers, they become one of those Super Bowl caliber teams. That's just going to be the question mark that follows them around. And anytime once has a bad game, 
you're going to see the question marks fly around. Is he the guy long-term? And if he has a good game and if he has a good season, then you're starting to see that potential that that team really has with a quality weapon at quarterback. Yeah, I wasn't willing to put us into that Super Bowl conversation as some fans were last year. I'm not going to be willing to do it this year um, for the Colts. But as you've even touched up on, like as I've mentioned, if we're able to get someone like Allen Robinson and we're able to re-sign T.Y. Hilton, imagine that that would have to be the best receiving four Carson Wentz has had with Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Zach Paschal, who's amazing in slot, Paris Campbell, if he can stay healthy. That is a very very nice receiving core. Um, And with Philadelphia, you have to think about this as well. With their cap issues, Zach Ertz could possibly be up here on the market pretty shortly, which was Carson Wentz's favorite target. If we're able to even pull him, maybe we don't pull one of the big receivers, but if we can pull Zach Ertz, maybe we pull someone in the draft or pull one of the lesser uh, receivers like in this free agency that's still pretty talented, re-sign T.Y. This offense... I personally think could be one of the best, if not the best that once is sat behind. So, I mean, I, that could be, you know, personal bias, but I just really like the options that the Colts have in free agency for someone like once. It definitely makes them a more intriguing team as we go further and further into the off season, as we approach draft uh, weekend and we approach free agency. And I think that this is a, good time to turn to a draft update because now it seems as though the Colts are a team that we can move off of as teams that would be looking to draft a quarterback, regardless of your opinions of Carson Wentz. I think that the front office makes this move as a sign of commitment to him. Uh, So I don't think that them targeting a quarterback in the first round uh, becomes a likely scenario. And before I drop the news, do you think that this makes Philadelphia a likely team to go quarterback at number six? I don't think that they end up, that they will end up doing this, but I can see them doing their due diligence. And maybe it happens with like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. Those seem to be the two guys that would be available at that spot. Do you think that the Eagles are likely to go with a quarterback at six, or do you think they stick it out with Jalen Hurts, at least for another season? There's been a lot of talk about it. To me personally, I just don't think there's a shot. I mean, sure, you have a new coach, and maybe Sirianni is going to want something specific, but you just drafted Jalen Hurts last year with a second-round pick. There's no reason whatsoever for you to draft a quarterback in the first round this year. I think you need to let let Hurts ride see how he does. And if you are disappointed with him, consider moving on. If you're not disappointed with him, and I mean, I'm a bit of a Hurts fan, so I personally think he's going to have a good year. You know, you guys should be fine to continue moving with this team. I think um, a lot of people have talked about this. What Philly really needs to look at, um, it, like with this first round pick, is receiver. They have to get healthy. They have to get good. They have to get a good physical guy. Um, Jalen Rankle was good for speed, but they don't have that like big physical guy um, like what they had in their Super Bowl run with Alshon Jeffrey. Go get Jamar Chase. Go get Jalen Waddle. Go get who you think is going to fit your the Sirianni system best and have Hurts, that receiver, Rankle, Sanders, hopefully a healthy O-line. And that's going to look like a, an offense that Sirianni can say, I can run this and I can do well with it. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I'm always in favor of if you think you can upgrade at quarterback, do it because quarterback is so far and away the best, the most important position on the field that you have to get right there in your franchise. If I were them, I would definitely look into it, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's too short of a, too small of a sample size to say one thing or the other with Hertz, in my opinion especially with all the drama that was going on with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz there. Now that it's kind of cleared out, if you can definitively say this is the guy, at least for another season, I think that this will definitely be the season where if he doesn't play well, then you're looking at them in in the first round next year, again, looking for a quarterback. 
And they would have the tools to do it, especially if Carson Wentz plays. They would have a second first-round pick. They can make a move happen to try and go up and get someone. Um, I mean, to me, the Eagles shouldn't have too high of expectations. Let Hurts show you that he can do well. If he if he's worse than expectations, then next year would be a great time to get a uh, quarterback. But right now, I mean, look at the teams in their division. Dallas could be healthy. They could have Prescott possibly back. They would have a decent team. New York was a really good team doing really well second half of the year under Joe Judge. You have Washington football team who made the playoffs and feel like they're a quarterback away from being a serious playoff contender. Like, if we're going to be completely honest here, I don't think the Eagles are going to be making the playoffs. And I, I, I would be surprised if people really feel like they can. So don't go into next year with expectation as the playoffs. Go into next year having Jalen Hurts saying, hey, this is the time for you to prove yourself. This is the time for you to show that you can compete. That's what they need to be looking for, him to compete and for him to not replicate the mistakes that Wentz did. Because if he can do those things, once the cap issues start to clear up, once you're able to get you know more moves and whatnot, once Sirianni is able to uh, develop what he wants in a team more, then you can really start throwing the expectations of wins on him. I really think you just need to look how he performs next year. So, I mean, I don't think anything you just said was wrong. It's it's interesting to see what their direct what the direction will end up being because you have a team that would want to compete for the playoffs. I think a fan base would want to uh, compete for the playoffs, especially in a division that is marketed as weak. I think it'll definitely be stronger next year, especially with Dak Prescott coming back, uh, with the Giants continuing to improve under Joe Judge. But then also, I was interested. I know that inner division trades don't really happen. I'm interested to see what the Washington football team does because they have a later pick. They're not going to be up for contention for one of the top quarterbacks. I don't think that there's a quarterback that will hit the market that can really push your team over the, get your team to the next level, unless Dallas just lets Jack slip through their fingers. I'm going to be interested to see what Washington does at that position. Do they do Mac Jones? Do they ride with Taylor Heineke because I don't think Alex Smith's coming back. I think, I think the number one bet would probably be Kyle Allen, but I, I think they need to resign him. I'm interested in what Washington does, because if they just don't make a move, that would be very confusing to me. Cause I would not want to waste another year of this team, this roster, that defense that really came to life last year. So I, I'm interested to see what direction they go in at the quarterback position. If they don't want to pay that big price for Deshaun Watson, I'm under the personal opinion of they should give Mariota another shot. He's only going to cost like a day three pick, a fourth or a fifth. I think he'd be such a good player. Like all they need is for the quarterback to be able to manage well. Because I like Gibson a lot. If you have a decent quarterback who's able to control the game well, kind of like what Baker Mayfield's starting to do, and I think Mariota can do that, that's going to be such a fun offense. Marcus Mariota definitely had a tryout game last season when Derek Carr went down and he played well enough that the tabloids the next day were literally Marcus Mariota shoots up the ranks of offseason quarterback moves. So that's a name to consider. I don't know. I don't know how much that he raises your ceiling as a team. I think he is better than any other option they have on the roster currently, but they definitely need to make a splash move. I think that can end up I mean, I want to giving that there, offense a real juice. Oh, yeah. I want to see Watson there, but I think Mariota is also a low-risk, high-reward thing of if he's able to show what he showed in that game when Carr went out, you could have the Marcus Mariota that we all really want to see come out of Oregon. You could have that type of – you could have something at least resembling that, a competitive quarterback. And if you have a good, still pretty young, competitive quarterback – and you're not having to move up much for him, say less. I would 100% want to see that. I think that's a good place to stop that and go into other quarterback offseason moves. It's just a little note that I found interesting because I've kind of, I haven't been on this train, but I've definitely been supportive of 
one of the narratives within it. So Matt Miller of thedraftscout.com came out with a podcast, and one of the quotes that got pulled and passed around in the past week was that some NFL scouts could be grading BYU quarterback Zach Wilson over Clemson phenom Trevor Lawrence. Now, I think I've been on the Zach Wilson train longer than most people that at least I know. Uh, I've been paying attention to him since the start of the season, especially when he was lighting up those first few games. And the tools, I think, are all there. His, His arm is legit. He's got incredible athleticism. He's got the size. I, I have no doubts, and he's very accurate, and he graded out well. I have no doubts that I think he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback, and I think that this quarterback class is really, really special because Trevor Lawrence, we've been pegging him as the next it guy in the NFL for so many years, and Justin Fields right behind him has been quarterback two, and he's been sliding on some people, but I'm still high on him is the thing. For me, I think I have him as my quarterback three behind Wilson at two, but Justin Fields is still really good. Trey Lance is the international man of mystery who people are starting to slide up and even past, say, a Justin Fields into that top three quarterback spot. And before the season, some people even had him as high as quarterback two. So I think that those four guys that we're going to hear so much about going into the draft all are going to have good shots at good careers. Of course, it all matters where they all land, but I think they're more hit than miss. And I think, especially when you're talking about rookie QBs, some of them might take a little longer to develop, but I think that they all have better tools than most quarterback classes. I think they all have good arm strength. I think they're all good athletes. Uh, A knock on Justin Fields is his decision-making. I think that's something that can be helped with a good system and good coaching you know, Trey Lance and Zach Wilson, they're going to be talked down as these small school quarterbacks don't play the same competition. I don't think that ends up mattering in the NFL. I think if you just have the tools, you'll get up to speed. You'll use your innate athletic abilities to work your game. I just want to get your reaction to this. I don't think I'm on this train, but I think that there is, to me personally, all four of these quarterbacks in any other year, if they were the only quarterback, they'd be the number one overall pick. That's how good I think that they all are. I would say I have Trevor Lawrence at one, but it's only like half a step behind him as Zach Wilson in terms of skill. The accolades and everything Trevor Lawrence has over all of these guys by a mile. But I think Zach Wilson's skill level is maybe half a step down and then a quarter step down from Wilson, I'd have Justin Fields. And then just behind him, I would have Trey Lance. But I think all four of these guys are super, super talented and can all be franchise guys, can all be guys that you are willing to give second contracts to. Mm-hmm. I want to get your reaction to this. Do you like Zach Wilson? If so, do you think this is just a smoke screen or do you think some people actually view him as better than Trevor Lawrence prospect-wise? Um, I mean, in, in all honesty, I, I kind of, I, I remember like I like Zach Wilson a lot, but I just kind of had the kind of thought in my head of, oh, this is New York just, you know, feeling bad that they muffed the 0 and 16 and want to somehow find a way to get Trevor Lawrence to him. But that's nothing against Zach Wilson. Um, I personally, I can't say as much on them other than what I hear from media. Um, in which I really like all four of these guys. I probably rate them the same as you. Um, but if you're looking at it on a one-by-one, as you said, Lawrence, we've been touting, like, people have been calling him the next Manning type of prospect uh, in a long time. Like, he's that good of a prospect. And um, I think with watching him through ACC play, we can certainly agree. Um, he has looked like every bit of the part. He won the championship when uh, in his freshman year with Clemson. He looks good for them. Um, I, I would – find it very hard to replace him at one, particularly with Urban Meyer uh, when you had the ratings come out when he talked about a bit ago and he put Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields himself. Um, I just feel like he's bound to be the number one guy. Wilson, I think is, uh, I I remember seeing in these reports that some of the scouts had compared Wilson's traits to what they saw out of Patrick Mahomes coming out of college. And I can certainly see what they're talking about. 
um, with it. But I think a bit of the small college and I think a bit or smaller college and I think a bit of the, the stature, the department form, I think is a bit of a risk. But when you overall look at him, I think he looks out of the quarterbacks in the class, probably the most dynamic. Like he, he's one that I could probably argue will make more special plays than Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence is not only a safe option, but a consistent option. Um, and he's and really, really good too. Let's not say that Trevor Lawrence is, I mean, I don't want either of us to come across as being at like, oh yeah, Trevor Lawrence is good. Like, no, Trevor Lawrence is going to be really, really good. Both of these guys, I think are going to be really, really good. Yeah, Lawrence is gonna for be sure. Great. Um, I want to hear, like, to me, uh, my opinion on three and four, um, I, I don't know how you feel on this, but I feel like uh, with the small college concept with three and four, I feel as if, if you're one of those teams towards the top, like, um, you know, it's pretty obvious who I'm going to be here, Atlanta. If you want someone who's going to develop for you for the future, I think Trey Lance is your guy. I think he's someone that could take a good year behind Matt Ryan. And the, I don't think Atlanta I kind of put in the same ballpark as Philadelphia. I don't think they should be expecting much out of next year. But you give him a year under Matt Ryan, trade Matt Ryan midseason if you're not feeling him, then ride with Trey Lance. I think that, that could be something good, something to note. Out of the same college of, as Carson Wentz, NDSU, um, really good developing quarterback. So um, seeing how Carson played before his injuries, maybe that's something that could pique the interest of teams up there. But I feel as if Justin Fields is someone that is a – like someone that you can is a plug and start. I don't think he's someone that would want to sit behind anyone for any amount of time. I think if you're drafting Justin Fields, you're drafting him to start. Um, and I do agree. I think there's some decision-making issues um, even showed against like TCU in the big 10 game, a uh, big 10 championship game. Um, it wasn't TCU. It was Northwestern. I think, I think I messed that one up, but um, I, I think some of those issues are things that uh, coaches can work through. I agree with that 100% but I think he does have the traits to be a really good quarterback. Only thing for me personally is the stigma of the more recent Ohio state quarterbacks not being, you know, right where they are going to be. That's the only thing that could really, you know, as, as a stigma, not be great, but overall the attributes that Justin Fields brings is very special. Um, I mean, Hey, he was even what Georgia to Ohio state. So All right. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap today's podcast up. We want to thank you for listening and hopefully now on Spotify and anchor, as well as still on our 3304 sports YouTube page for Colt Norm Bergstrom. I'm Daniel Steinbach. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend and rest of the week.